Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all about the taxonomic groups and what you can actually work with in the industry. Now, I'm very happy to introduce you all, Matt Welland. Now, welcome, Matt, to the show. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. No, thank you, thank you. Now, it's a real pleasure to have you on. If you want to introduce the lovely listeners exactly who you are, where you work, and, and what position you hold. Well, like James said, my name's Matt. I'm a senior keeper at Port Lynn in Kent, uh, looking after on the large carnival section over there. Very diverse collection over there. We've got quite a, quite a large group of large carnivals, you know, three big cat species, two bear species, uh, cheetah, wolves, painted dogs. So a very busy section, a section that's, uh, you know, a pleasure to be part of. Yeah, no, that's, that's cracking. And let's say it's, it's a, a privileged position to be in with such an array of, of species, but it, it, you, you don't just fall into it. I mean, some people might say they're lucky to, but there's always a journey. There's always... I guess you could argue some stepping stones to get to where you are today. Do you, do you have those moments in your career, in your in your life, from the early days up to now, that have really kind of spearheaded you and, and marked those moments of, of progress throughout your time? Definitely. I mean, obviously, it all started out. It started with carnivals, and it and it stuck with it. But like you say, that there, there are moments where it sort of justifies that sort of choice of yeah, I definitely want to stick with this. Worked at three collections altogether, all with different experiences. Uh, different stories to tell of course definitely uh, a worthwhile choice in, in what I've done yeah no for sure and, and I guess through a career everyone's got a different starting point how, how did you originally get into the industry was it through education was it through volunteering was it just a, a childhood ambition which went crazy or, or how did it how did it all begin probably all the above to be honest yeah um, it was yeah a definite interest in animals from a young age and did an animal management diploma at college then went to university to do a foundation degree in animal management and welfare um, but part of that course uh, I had a requirement to do a year's placement in the industry so that was a sort of two birds with one stone get the experience as well as the the education side of it which um, I think definitely served me well and I remember zoos being obviously up there with my sort of career path of what I think I could have been doing and I applied at probably every single zoo uh, in the UK to see if I can get a placement. And Woburn Safari Park was the first one to get back to me. And that's where the sort of carnival side started. They offered me that. And I thought, yeah, that sounds pretty decent. And did that for pretty much a year. Obviously learned a lot, met lions, tigers, sort of in that sort of backstage area, as you as uh, you'd sort of say. I'd say, yeah, just having that year's experience then served me well, as well as the education side. And after finishing university graduating i was very fortunate to within a month graduate and get a job at longley again on the carnival section and obviously from there just built up on my my experience built up on my skills which has got me to where i am today cracking it shows definitely that it's you know the hard work and effort really does does pay off obviously as this episode alluded to at the beginning it's all about taxonomic groups what animals we work with now if i were to, to put you on the spot now 
what sort of keeper would you describe yourself at in terms of a taxonomic group? Well, as in the taxonomic group, I mean, carnivores, they are a, a keystone group, aren't they? They're the flagship species of the zoo. So you're very much, I don't know if poster boy is the right sort of way to say it, but you are very much in the limelight. You know, guests obviously come along and they want to see the lions, they want to see the tigers, they want to see the bears. And when you have that engagement, people, you just instantly have that, you know, connect with them and that just that sheer awe and sort of inspiration from that. But obviously their behaviours are fascinating to watch as well. All those predatory instincts that you see and obviously just amazing to watch. But then you get some unique skills amongst that as well as a carnival keeper, doing things that other sections probably wouldn't in taxonomic groups meat preparation being one of them that's quite a, a unique sort of thing and you obviously get good at that with practice and everything like that and in all those sense but downside to it is obviously the physical contact with a carnival keeper there's next to none <laughs> in, in terms of that whereas uh, obviously with other species you do get that sort of i say bond with your animals but obviously on more of a physical level so yeah a bit different on carnivores especially with big cats and stuff not having that contact at all but I guess that makes it, yeah, all the more unique, all the more um, more interesting. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And you, you've touched on it. Obviously, you know, your large carnivores are your, they're one of the iconic species that people come out of college, come out of university, simply want to come into the industry to work with alongside maybe some of your large hoof stock and, and that side of things. If there's someone listening now who wants to become a keeper and uh, this is your your side to pitch your your taxonomic groups uh, side of things, why should someone come and work with your certain type of taxa? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think working within the carnivals as a taxonomic group is it's it's highly rewarding and it does get a lot of limelight, but it's obviously not all about that, not all about showing off in that sense. Um, but there are a lot of conservation works out there for these predatory animals purely because they are a popular species but obviously that means it's um you know more likely that you are going to be able to work with those conservation projects those charities you know there's so much being done with certainly with yeah big cats you know most of them are endangered species and so to be involved in even just breeding programs in in a zoo environment is obviously a pleasure to be a part of but yeah even to be part of uh, all those conservation areas that are working in the field yeah no that, that makes so sense and I, I guess this leads us into quite nicely you know you yeah we're talking about a lot about big cats but you know your large carnivores are broad you know there's a whole range of different species that you get the opportunity to work with and, and have had the opportunity to work with with regards to your taxa then the word enrichment's chucked around the industry every single day you know it's, it's a very large part of a keeping's job is to to occupy and entertain your animals day you know, and make sure that they've got the the optimum amount of health and, and care now with enrichment it is as simple as just going yep give them that because each animal has its own limitations some might be stronger some might be more flexible some might need something which can submerge in water some might need something which can somehow gets uh hung up high and, and withstand a bit of an attack so with enrichment and your your own taxa have you have you experienced any i guess for anyone listening and wanting a few tips on on working with with large carnivals and, and enrichment what what works what goes well have you got any quirky tips or any quirky enrichment choices that that work well with your taxa well yeah well, most enrichment stuff with large carnivals is food based it seems to be all that they are interested in try sensory enrichment stuff all the time as well but it just doesn't sometimes have that same effect same sort of grit that the animals um, are involved in yeah going back to what you were saying about hanging things up and things like that we've got a few animals that we can do that with got some others that we 
have to be careful with due to their age. As they get older, their joints are not as good as they used to be. We do have to kind of change it about a bit, but still make it challenging enough. And it's just, you know, finding that that balance really between it all. One thing we do quite a lot, especially with our canid species, particularly with the painted dogs, is a essentially a zip line thing, something that is practiced quite a lot in zoos um, with canid species. But essentially, it's just a, a zip line that's balanced across a hill at an angle. The feed will be wired onto it, um, and there's a it's it's high enough so that the dogs cannot reach it at the bottom of the hill. And there's a fire hose that is attached lower down. So in theory, the dogs have to work together to pull this hose up the hill where the ground is higher and then they can actually reach onto the meat and everything. And it's been particularly good for the last couple of years for us because we're very successful in uh, having two successive litters. So it's been good for the young pups to learn and engage in that and fight as a group because obviously that's a natural way for them to do it. So it's great seeing them use those behaviours and stuff. Sometimes it's quite hard to replicate that in captivity, is, you know, getting them to feed as they, they normally would. But it's a it's a good challenge. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And you know, it's just uh, I, I would I'm a firm believer that if it's enriching the keeper's life and and see it allowing them to see their animals have fun, then you're definitely doing a good job on your animals' part. Very, very much so. Now, obviously, enrichment is one thing, but you can also go even further than enrichment by doing some good enclosure design. Now, this is something which is a large part of any zoo in the modern day. We are very much critiqued for our enclosures, the space, the dynamics of it, and how it meets our animals' needs. With your with with the taxonomic group you work with and the, the enclosure design, are there any certain aspects of an enclosure which are essential? And are, are there any other quirkier bits which work really well with the taxonomic group? Uh, well, definitely sort of strength and stability of your fencing. That's an absolute must with large carnivores. Electric fencing as well, something that's obviously not unique to large carnivores, but something that also is very well practiced as well. Um, so having um, a good system like that is obviously very important. As much as it's uh, the bane of your life sometimes when an electric fence does go, having to walk the whole enclosure and just to find this one little bit that's wrong with it, like I say, it's, it's crucial to have uh, from, it's most, yeah, from a safety point of view. It's just the standard, really. But also to have that ability for the animals, I think, in enclosures, particularly for big cats and stuff, is to have that sort of area where they can have their own time to themselves. Obviously, they are there to be on show to the public and things like that. But to have that sort of escapism, I think, is is an important option for them to have. No, totally, totally. And I guess uh, on an enclosure design, but I'm going to, this is is off script as well, Matt, so I'm going to make you think now. With regards to large carnivore training, whether it regards to moving them, training them or anything like that, is there also any certain aspects of the enclosure design that, that come into the care of your animal which are essential for your specific animals yeah so um animals don't stick around for long sometimes they do have to be moved from either from an enclosure to enclosure in the same zoo or from different zoos so having this setup where you are able to set up animal crates or get them into an area where you can into a smaller area where you could you know do veterinary procedures and things like that is obviously a must all of those things are are considered and something that we've you know had success on as well you know last year we moved nine lions in total in one day without sedations or anything like that um all um, sort of conditioned to come into their crates um obviously this was a couple of months in advance but having the facilities to do that is obviously key to making it 
as stress-free and, and efficient as possible rather than having to bend one way and bend the other and make it a little bit more sort of complicated and things yeah no, that's, that's great and I, I, i'm gonna ruin one of my future questions i think but, but why if you if anyone listening right now anyone who's who's wanting to, to come into the industry why should like we've touched on it before but why really what 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 makes you get up in the morning what why why are carnivores why why are they the go-to animal why not tomorrow a hedgehog for example what what is it about carnivores which really gets you going and, and makes you love what you do i think it is it's just the wow factor for them i think it is the danger side of it all you know you don't thrive on that obviously it should work in a safe manner and everything but I think it is just that respect that you like you mentioned before about you know looking back on career and stuff and sometimes you just got to pinch yourself and think yeah no I I work with these you know potentially top you know they are top predators they're dangerous animals so having that wow factor and everything is is awesome but I think just making a, a difference um for for their for their welfare is obviously a, an important thing which like I say can motivate you to to get you out and stuff like that to see how they progress and things particularly cubs obviously seeing cubs grow and become a an adult and stuff and just that transition between probably one of the best things about being a zookeeper i think is, is seeing that change over uh, obviously you don't have cubs all the time so you could be waiting years for, for that sort of thing to happen but that's certainly been you know for me personally that's been motivating factors um, a lot of time yeah no for sure for sure and I guess to conclude this bit before we delve into to the bigger aspect of this podcast which we'll get onto but for anyone listening and, and wanting to, to get into the industry, but also potentially get into effectively your job with your taxa, what advice would you give them to, to get to, to, I guess, where you are today? An obvious one is relevant experience. Experience with any animal is obviously good. It's a good tick, but you're going to be up against other people that also have animal experience. I think even if you can have just, a, if you're looking to go in with, working with carnivores even just having a smidgen of carnivore experience obviously counts for a lot i'll probably say the main thing is having that that flexibility i think and just to be prepared to make that big move i made the move i grew up in the midlands i made the big move from midlands to wiltshire to go to longley and vice versa going from wiltshire to kent where i am now so uh, having that um sort of desire for it um you do have to sometimes just make that jump and um if it's what you really desire to do because if you just wait around for the zoos that you you know live at locally you could be waiting around for years uh, for that sort of opportunity so um i think yeah the advice is just to be open to that as a possibility obviously if you get something nearby great yeah there is that you know, possibility that you will have to look further afield. So within the industry, obviously, we're talking about taxonomic groups and we're talking about, obviously, yours being you large carnivores. From from your career so far, whether it be an exact individual, whether it be a species, do you have any which particularly have stood out in your career so far? Any species which have particularly captured a place in your heart? It's difficult to say because, obviously, for the different collections I've worked at, they've all been slightly different. The only animals that have stayed the same throughout that is lions and tigers everything else in between has been a bit different i've had bears here wolves here bears again so difficult to say really biggest thing catching my heart probably say was from this last year um with our unexpected brown bear cub that we had obviously he was he was rejected by mum two and a half nearly three months old and um, we tried putting him back in with her numerous times and unfortunately she just kept attacking him she essentially came back in cycle again and was more interested in mating the decision was made from the higher-ups that he was to be hand-reared and so we were 
playing as as parents slash playmates with him, which, you know, some people would agree on, some people wouldn't. Difficult were the fact that he was already a fairly formed bear, but then you could argue that they're not an endangered species, brown bears. Um, so is there any real need for him? We do, do we need more in captivity? And obviously he was a mistake, but the decision was made, obviously. And um, it was a highlight, not just for myself, but for all the other guys at Portland to working with him. And, you know, like I was saying before about seeing that progression, that growth. Yeah, we were essentially his, his little playthings really for a little while, but it was obviously important for his development and learning you know, how to be a bear as much as possible. Some of the things he had to learn himself, like climbing trees and things like that, but he crashed that. He's at Wildwood now, has been for the last, must be four, nearly five months, hopefully to be mixed in with other bears because it's something that we wouldn't have been able to do with ours. But at least, you know, hopefully we'll give him a good future in that regard. So yeah, out of everything, he's probably been one of the highlights. Yeah, yeah, no, I think, I think you've you've hit it perfectly on the head that you know there are some we would love our animals to be wild and free and all natural and that's just you know that's that magical disney world that everyone wants us to live in sadly things don't always work they go a little bit left and right field occasionally and and we do have to effectively up our game as our role and and effectively help where needed and in in those cases that's helping with rehabilitation that's helping with with effectively mothering um and, and yes there are lines of what people agree and disagree with but i think exactly that it's it's taking those opportunities doing what's needed in those moments and as you can see now flourishing in into the animals they are today so yeah it's uh that's, i guess that's the rewarding side of the industry for sure yeah to realize that it was all worth it in the end and it wasn't in vain yeah yeah for sure for sure now before i do move on i've got one last thing for you and you, you've mentioned them a few times your consistency you've said lions and tigers Okay, they've been there for, throughout them all. What what makes them so special? Out of you know, I say I'm I work with koalas, I've worked with meerkats, I've worked with anteaters, I work with reindeer. I can list all my species, and they've got a whole array of strengths behind them. Each one having a different thing. What makes? And I'm sure they're even different between themselves. But why lion and tigers? What why what makes them apart from the fact, as you said, those you know almost a thrill seeking animal and the, the on the edge. What makes them so special? Going on lions, you do see a different behavioural aspect from them than you would other big cats. They live in, live in prides. They're the only ones that do live in, in social groups. So you do see different dynamics and stuff. Okay, most of the time when you go to zoos and you see lions, they're sleeping or, or things like that. But when you do see them in action and when you, you know what to look for in terms of behaviours, you do learn a lot from that. And obviously I learned a lot from that in my past experiences with different prides of lions. And that was from having a pride with lion cubs to having a pride with a new male uh, being mixed in. I think on the behavioural aspect, I think is 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 quite key those, with those guys. Tigers, I don't know with tigers. I mean, it's just one of those, they're everywhere, aren't they? And they're all in, they're in all zoos, sort of like lions as well. But some people just can't get enough of them. And I don't know why. I mean, it's, it's probably the beauty of them. I think they are, they've got that striking resemblance. Yeah, it's just something about them. Don't know. For sure, for sure. And that leads us very nicely into what we call the big questions. Now, this is the these are a variety of questions which are very relevant to the industry, I think, and will hopefully poke a few holes at you to hopefully get you to fire back at me any any good advice you've got for the, the folks listening. So we'll, we'll kick off with number one and see how we get on that. Now, now number one, it's a simple one, and it's very I, I think it's very relevant and everyone's very aware of it the zookeeping role at all levels but especially 
at the working level when you're first going through those those newly qualified your even your senior keepers when you're on the ground your man in the fort you're mucking out your, your enclosures you're talking to public and you're doing everything that's required of you it is a large role now it's not a simple poo picking role as the, as the stereotype says or a bunny hugger role it is everything under the sun uh, wh- what do you think of the zookeeping role is the largest challenge within our role and how how have you or how would you advise to overcome it i think probably just having the time to do all the things that you just listed i think is the is the challenge um you know you obviously want to get everything done but like you say it's the list of talking to public doing your clean outs and things but also your your maintenance stuff you want to make enrichment for your animals you want to do all of these things you have all these ideas going in your head and sometimes it is just too much so sometimes you have to just accept that it cannot be done certainly in the, the time frame that you originally expected but i guess it's something that you get with experience is just learning to prioritize you know your your tasks your ideas what is actually more important what could you actually you know what well, i'll leave that for a month or so and then i'll come back and revisit that because yeah you, you don't have time to do everything unfortunately and um it's yeah like i say something that you learn along the way but you do learn to get better at no, for sure, for sure. Great answer. Now, move on to number two, then. It's obviously recommended by, uh, you can go up to the government level, you can go to the council level, you can go to your bosses to have a good work and home balance and a, a good home to work life. Obviously, the balance between the two is, is great for well-being and, and, and for stress as a whole. That all being said, and the concept is is definitely the right aspect, which is why we're given days off. But obviously, there are many people who find that balance very hard. It, as a whole, is a very hard concept to do when you work with animals, not just zookeeping, because of the animals not switching off. They need your care all the time. So the question with this is... Do you feel it's an easy one to achieve? And if not, how can anyone listening look to hopefully achieve this further? No, I don't think it's easy to achieve because, like you say, you just you have that, that passion and that drive all the time. And uh, it's very difficult to just, at the end of your shift, just switch off. That's it. I'm done. You know, particularly for things like, you know, worrying, worrying about animals. That's a you know very common thing, um, particularly if it's a, a sick or old or injured animal, um, you, you know, obviously go home thinking about that all the time think also but you're just so invested in it as well you sometimes i mean i've done it myself you find yourself going home and you're thinking oh i need to research this i need to read this extract read this book and things and obviously that's your own interest it still eats away at you and like you say there is that you do need to have that time away from it all away from the zoo which is easier said than done and i would say you know obviously having friends outside of the zoo world is 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 quite key to that you know having relevant conversations you know that aren't just talking about work all the time obviously we as zookeepers we do on quite a bit and um sometimes that is all we talk about so i think having that away time from it all to yeah even just a simple thing just talking about other things can actually do uh, a lot better totally totally i think you touched on it perfectly there is it's Firstly, network within, but also network without. You know, there's there's human nature will kick in and it's a human nature which will also save you. So, yeah, and exactly uh, a great, great shout with that one. Now, the, the next one is something, once again, it's a large aspect of zoos in the modern day to educate and to inspire. And obviously our, our interaction, even though it's the old concept that you go into animals to get away from people, sadly in most in most walks of life now you have to educate to get anywhere that being said 
we are a little bit varied in the industry when it comes to how we educate our guests, how much input we have. Different collections have different kind of versions of themselves. Places might have um, volunteers for it. Some places might have an education team for it, or some places might actually rely on their keepers to do all of the above. From a keeping point of view, though, do you feel we're currently doing enough for the people who pay our wages? Do you feel we're educating enough to get our messages across and, and get our real... I guess our, our motives of what zoos are really about to them. I think particularly aimed towards younger people. I think, like you mentioned before, obviously certain zoos they have education teams or volunteers or blah blah. But I think talking from a, a zookeeper's point of view, obviously we're the ones that know the animals inside out and you know have those experiences, those stories, and that relates a lot more to guests, I think, than just the generic facts and figures and things like that. More of, an, you know, more of an emphasis needs to be done on that and um, aiming more towards the younger people I think is, is a must obviously um, the way the world is today you know they could be solution to many of the problems that we have I think just being more realistic about how things are as well obviously we can talk about relations are declining and, and things like that but I think it just needs to be a bit more not panicked or stressed but I think yeah, just make people realize that you know there really is issues out there it's not just you know you see it on the telly it's happening in front of your eyes sort of thing no for sure for sure and uh, you'll, you'll be happy to know we're nearly through we've nearly survived these big questions we're on the last one and that is we you know before before we get onto this question we ourselves did exactly what I'm going to go on to we saw each other at Abwak only you know earlier in the year and did exactly what I'm going to ask you but do you think on a keeping level we are collaborating enough overall in the industry. And that's as broad as you'd like yeah, it. Yeah. Um, short answer, no. I think we can improve. I think there's there's quite a big gap between your, I'll call them old school, but your your experienced keepers, you know, your ones that have been there 20, 30, you know, 40 plus years, um, between them and your your new generation, your younger keepers. Um so the younger keepers coming in, they've got the education that the keepers from 30, 40 years ago wouldn't have had at all. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's uh, anything in between. I don't think there's anything in the middle because um, obviously the old school would probably think that they, because they've got all the experience, they've got the on the ground stuff. Um, it's, um, it's not needed. Whereas obviously all the younger lot have all the education and that behind them. I think there needs to be that, that meeting in between um and in terms of yeah like you say in terms of collaborating to um make things make things work draw on all those experiences and that all together really yeah no totally and i think that will come with a collectivist that is you know partly the reason for this podcast hopefully is to, to elaborate on that and to hopefully help so um i think there's more and more coming through all the different organizations out there and i think with a collective idea which is what's coming i think everyone's on the same sort of level idea kind of idea emotion with this we will hopefully move forward so fingers crossed um only onwards and upwards now you'll be happy to know we've got through you've conquered those big questions you're onto the straight and narrow. You're onto what I call the quick fire round. Now, the listeners are going to quickly know already this can go two ways. We've had them go quick fire round as it suggests, but we've also had the quick fire round turn into a whole conversation. And that's because sadly, I'm setting you up for failure. There are some in here which aren't a simple one answer. Okay, so we'll see how we get on that. Um, and uh, yeah, no, no stressing. <laughs> okay, so number one, 
is your favourite animal? Oh, see, whenever anyone asks me this, I say I don't have one. And that is genuinely true. Uh, I like all as a collective. I think every animal has their own unique little ways and I can't pick one between all of them. If you had to push me, bears in general, I think, are a cool species. I think they're one of my favourites, but painted dogs would be a close second, I think. Good shouts, yeah. Painted dogs are very much close to my heart as well. So, yeah, some cracking shouts. I would have been a little bit um, a little bit pushed sideways and it may have wrecked my podcast episode if you'd said fish or birds or anything like that. So I'm very pleased you've stuck with your taxa um, and, and gone with the straight and the narrow. So thank you for, for doing that, Matt. <laughs> now we'll, we'll move on. And this is this is one of the ones which I have set you up to fail. So I apologise. And that is your top tip for the industry for, for mental health. I'd probably say just talk or just opening up someone where that doesn't have to be with your colleagues, just friends, family, your neighbours, anybody, just talk to people, I think is, is is quite a key thing with that. Obviously, mental health has been something, you know, a lot more researched in sort of the last 10 years or so, and something that we are a lot more aware of. Um, obviously, with COVID, you know, there was a lot of issues with that as well. So it's a, yeah, it's a tough one, that one, because, yeah, there's obviously many tips you can go around, but I think it is something to just be aware of that, yes, it is important that you should be aware of mental health and you know you shouldn't take shortcuts and everything but top tip i'd say yeah talk to people doesn't have to be necessarily as a counseling thing or anything you know just just getting it a little bit out there um can do your world of good rather than keeping it all in and, and um sort of hiding away from it all no totally totally and you know that that whether that be friends family or more importantly if someone does feel alone which hopefully no one is feeling alone right now Remember the net the the networking platform of the industry is always there. There is someone always there in whatever collection, even if it's not your own, who is willing to at least meet up for a coffee, talk over Facebook, whatever it may be. There's someone who will be there to help. So you know some some cracking advice. Now number three is totally left field, and I'm going to spin you out. And that's your favourite film, Matt. I'd probably say I do like the Jason Bourne films, um, so I'd probably go with the Bourne Identity as my out of all of them yeah. yeah solid solid okay so going back into the industry then the best part the best part of the industry for you i've touched on this previously i'd say yeah seeing the animals that you have cared for kind of contribute to their futures you know whether that be through captive breeding whether that be through a, a particular science research project or whether that be you know a rewilding thing whether they you know been moving back to their natural habitats i think yeah seeing an animal that has contributed to that as a a success story i guess as you say that's um i think a big pat on the back for you as a keeper to say that you've been involved in that and i think that's you know the whole sort of kind of the whole point of of the industry is is those success stories so i'd say that is the best part yeah yeah spot on spot on okay so the next one this could go anywhere and that is what zoo globally would you like to visit and why? <laughs> There's many. I've done all the ones I want to do in the UK, so it will have to be Europe and further afield. I think Leipzig is one I'd like to visit. Paradise, San Diego, all kind of just based on their stations, I guess. Yep, some cracking, cracking suggestions. Okay, so the next one is more personal to yourself, and that is, what is that one trait that has got you to where you are today? I'd probably say my patience, to be honest. And I think that's, I think that's quite yeah, an underestimated trait to have is is your patience. I think patience can be probably seen as um maybe a bit mindless maybe or just a bit more you know extremely um beneficial to, to have that trait for it but patience is is a great shout that's uh something which um as i say everyone looks at the the loud mouths and the people who are bouncing around the place but i think patience is, is a very large part of the industry whether it be with your animals or, or within the team it, it comes with 
And it is a very much will put you in good grace the higher up you go in the hierarchy. Definitely. I think large carnival keepers are that reputation of being quite rowdy, being quite um, loud. So having that different side to it, I think, you know, probably has served me all right. I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, the next question, I don't actually have an answer for it. I'm going to be honest. I actually don't know what I would answer for this one. And that is, if you wasn't a zookeeper, what would you be? I'd be the same. I don't think I would. It would still be with animals for sure possibly a dog behaviorist or something along those lines it's obviously quite an interesting thing to do i don't know there's, there's a couple you could go down with but yeah still with animals absolutely but yeah maybe, maybe with dogs then some something to do with dogs yeah no good shout good shout okay so within the industry what do you think we still have to improve on i think with the industry as a whole as in like an improvement at the industry i'd probably say to be recognized as actually having a skill a zookeeping being a skilled job i think it's it's quite a, a key thing obviously zookeepers and talk about the pay being not enough and things like that but you touched on it before that you know the phrase of just you know poo shovelers it isn't that anymore the role has changed dramatically and we are conservationists in work yes we're not out in the field but we are making a difference and our skills that we have is something that you just can't get from everybody yeah i think to have that recognition that we are you know we are more than what we are yeah no for sure for sure and it is i love pulling it out on this podcast and doing this a lot uh with this question but it's that it's that classic picture isn't it of what my parents think i do what my friends think i do what i actually do and so on is the role is just not defined enough yet and it's something which definitely i'm fully aware that it is being worked on hopefully progress will be made in the coming years and things will will only move upwards which is is hopefully only good um fingers crossed now the next one is is something a bit more personal to you and that is who in the industry is your idol probably and i'll say this because i watched him on television as a child um watching the animal park tv series i'd probably say it was ian turner who you'd obviously know watching him on animal park did and then actually one day obviously getting to meet him and working with him and he's obviously been in the industry for many many years i won't say how many um <laughs> many many years um and Obviously, for me personally, he was quite affiliated with um, big cats, tigers and things as well. So I think he was quite influential for me in that respect. Yeah, No, for sure. Yeah, some very, very lovely words. Now, we're on that final question of the quick fire rounds. Uh, and that question I've got for you is, it's probably one of the hardest. And that is, I want you to describe the industry in only three words. It's impossible. Not in just three words. That's impossible. I'd probably say draining a hard graph sometimes um particularly during those wet miserable months but on the flip side fulfilling i think it's it is a highly rewarding job for for, for the effort that you do put in and you know sometimes the stress that you go under it, it is a fulfilling job i'm going to end with another negative i'm going to say underappreciated it kind of goes back to you know your, your previous question um underappreciated for, for for the value that i think that you you have i think no, I think I think it's it's well put. I think there's definitely room for for manoeuvring and room for improvement. And I think it is very slowly. I think we are getting there. The more that the, the world's realizing actually what zoos do. So I think only once, uh, as I've said a few times now, onwards and upwards. Um, but we will we will get there. We will get there. Now, sadly, that does lead us to the end of this podcast. Um, I, I'm sure I can jump in with all of our lovely listeners. It's been absolutely amazing hearing your story and, and having you on that. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you very much, Harvey. It's been a, been a good time. Yeah, no, no, thank you so much. And, and hopefully we'll get you on again very soon. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Take care. 
And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and an amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook, or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey, learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.